0: Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring all the unexplained mysteries of existence and everything fringe or weird in the world. Today on the show, we're going to continue our look into the life of the old bard, Aleister Crowley. And as I'm sure you probably know, there's a cascading litany of hit pieces against this legendary occultist, probably because he openly and eagerly sought to break every single cultural chain he possibly could. After all, Crowley was a well-known libertine and mocked the social contracts of his age with Christianity very much uh, dominating that age. Nothing against Christianity though. But also Crowley, he kind of changed the game in a lot of ways that people don't really seem to recognize in many aspects. But at the same time, I'm not trying to like praise him or demonize him. I'm just trying to take a middle ground view, trying to be objective and relay this information in a way that is as unbiased as possible. I'm also going to be expressing this information in a way that his contemporaries would. So if you don't want to hear occult stuff or anything like that, you probably should just skip this episode. In particular, this episode will have some demon summoning stuff in it, so you know. Probably just miss this episode if you're easily freaked out or get paranoid by stuff like that because I don't have any intention of keeping you up at night. But again, I'm not saying any of what I say is true regarding this weird occult stuff, but I'm not going to denounce it or break it down and stuff like that either. So if that kind of stuff creeps you out too much, you think is ridiculous or just blatantly like not true or anything like that, then this is your only warning because things get super weird in these Crowley episodes. So don't send me angry messages because not only do I not care, but I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone or push anything. Also, I know a lot of people like to pronounce his last name as Crowley, not Crowley. And that's perfectly fine if you want to do that, I only say Crowley because In his uh he would often like rhyme his name in his poetry with holy and crowley rhymes with holy but crowley doesn't rhyme with holy so tomato tomato say it whichever way you want in any case we left off with the old bard as he found the original copy of the book of the law when looking for some skis to give a friend and he's around 30-ish i think current timeline we're in 1909 and just as a recap, his little girl has recently died. His wife pretty much has gone crazy from alcoholism. And he'd been forming a new order of occultists to start a new mystery school, the AA. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and let's continue our chronicling of the wickedest man in the world.
1: Uh, sorry. Uh, something.
2: O ye, the second of the first, whom the burning flames have framed in the depths of my jaws, whom I have prepared as cups for a wedding, whom the flowers in their beauty for the chamber of righteousness. Stronger are your feet of the barren stones, And I carry your voices in the manifold winds, for you are become a building such as is not, save in the mind of the all powerful.
0: The random nature that led Alistair to rediscover the Book of the Law reestablished his passion and belief in the Secret Chiefs. These secret chiefs being found in a bunch of different esoteric movements. And they are allegedly like transcended cosmic authorities. They're like a spiritual hierarchy responsible for... the moral caliber of the cosmos. Or for the overseeing and operations of esoteric organizations. Their names and descriptions have varied through time, as well as how they exist, with some being from Shambhala, or agartha while as some other people think that they are actual humans like living humans that are just like scattered through the world and working anonymously madame blavatsky called them the ascended masters as well as people from a uh, the theosophy perspective alice bailey called them the masters of the ancient wisdom diane fortune called them just the esoteric order and max Heindel called them the elder brothers But basically, these hidden masters are said to have a hand in everything concerning the development of humanity, and Crowley had ambitions to become one of these secret chiefs and was contemplating a walkabout in North Africa to commit to all of the required actions to do so. Interesting side note, however, is that many people believed, well, many people in these esoteric secret societies believed that you actually couldn't be one of the secret chiefs and be a living person. But that wasn't a universal belief. In any case, it wasn't going to stop Crowley from trying. And he was pretty sure that he was getting signs that that was his destiny. People like him don't believe in coincidence. To esotericists like him, the universe is constantly speaking to us all. And it's up to us to notice the communication. It's kind of hard to get a read on Crowley around this time because of like uh, all the later smear campaigns, kind of try and rewrite history. But let's just say his prominence among the public was growing and not necessarily bad at this time. I mean, it's always been bad, but it wasn't like how it would get later. People were like uh, vaguely interested in him and not openly demonizing him for the most part in the mainstream community and the herd hadn't really started to project their shadows on him yet. We have to keep in mind that though the Industrial Revolution and Enlightenment were already a thing, this era here is a time when dogma still completely ruled all the aspects of ordinary life. Also, where we are here in Crowley's life, his fortune was kind of starting to run out. He'd spent so much money on his mountaineering expeditions and writing and whatnot without getting any profit back, the money that was left to him was objectively running low about now in the timeline. However, he had an intense drive to push the book of the law and get down to the bottom of this new age he wanted to help establish. So he snagged up the book of the law and along with his newly formed students, returned to London and set up shop. He started working on the Equinox, his magazine, and had many other collaborators writing for it as well, including his old buddy Alan Bennett, who I've mentioned in every one of these Crowley episodes I think. But Alistair was also getting pretty friendly with Victor Benjamin Newberg at this time, and the two would go on to spend a lot of time together. He's the English poet and writer I think I mentioned at the end of last episode. But all in all, there were a ton of occultists who all worked together on the Equinox, with tons of articles concerning a whole range of different esoteric topics for the curious. And actually did pretty decent, but the Equinox did get a lot of hate from other occult circles, especially the former members of the original Golden Dawn Order. But as usual, none of that kind of stuff bothered AC, and he just kind of shouldered his way forward past it and through it. The controversy revolved around him writing secrets of the Older Order in the Equinox. But Crowley was just getting started concerning that. He's pretty notorious for it. He even takes full credit for the Goetia. Just stating that a dead hand helped him out. And this dead hand, I think I've said this, but it's uh, McGregor Mathers was the dead hand. It was an open insult. He was the, well he didn't write it, he was just the translator of the grimoire into English but let's just say there was a lot going on for Aleister Crowley at this time that the old members of the Golden Dawn detested McGregor Mathers probably at the vanguard of this crowd of people and who's to say that their anger is misplaced but on top of all of these issues and stuff going on in his life like he was pretty busy at this time on top of all these changes the divorce of his wife Rose was getting closer and closer but a part of him still loved her. And he didn't want to go back on the whole divorce thing. So on November 10th, 1909, he ditched London for his whole Algeria-North Africa trip. Rose was trying to get AC back. And the old bard knew that eventually, he'd fold if she persisted. So, vamoose, he took off. The same way that he would always did when stuff got rough or he got too bored. Although... I didn't even know that this was a thing, but the divorce went through while Crowley was gone. That was apparently a legal thing that someone could do back then? This was a long time ago. She won the court case and the custody of their surviving kid, but since his fortune was going down, the judge didn't really award Rose anything beyond what was typical of the time. Anyway, back to Crowley in Africa. He took Nierberg with him to do the rituals to get himself initiated into the secret chiefs, or his attempt to. And to do this he had to do a bunch of Enochian rituals and Enochian calls, which according to my research is kind of dangerous. And these accounts of them in the desert get pretty weird, and I'm not sure at times what's supposed to be vision or something like that, or even if they mean like literally physical things manifesting, it's pretty out there to say the least. Newberg's journal recalls one of their first mystical accounts as follows. Anubis?
3: There cometh an angel into the stone with opalescent shining garments, like a wheel of fire on every side of him, and in his hand is a long flail of scarlet lightning. His face is black, and his eyes white without any pupil or iris. The face is very terrible indeed to look upon. Now in front of him is a wheel, With many spokes, and many tires, it is like a fence in front of him.
0: Thanks, Anubis. Eh, That sounds pretty freaky. But they continued doing their esoteric stuff in the desert, and during one vision, Crowley saw an entire landscape of knives, and other pretty strange things attributed to the spirit world or other planes of reality overlapping our own. However, that was just one vision of many. The most profound vision he had was many initiations by a bunch of adepts that did bizarre things, including ripping open his skull and examining his brain. I'm assuming that these are the Ascended Masters or, like, the Secret Chiefs. But no matter how weird stuff got, they just pushed on and on and got weirder and weirder. John D. The Original 007 and the right hand of the English Queen in the 1600s had stated that the 10th Aether Crowley and Newberg were performing to be accursed and the Enochian ritual absolutely not meant for humans but Crowley kept it up undaunted and just as a quick reminder Enochian is based on the man Enoch the wording I mean Enoch is chronicled to have had the ability to communicate with angels and he's one of the few men ever to have not died, and the only one I know of in lore to have been given apotheosis into a celestial being. Occultists John Dee and Edward Kelly formulated this language the angels and Enoch used to communicate, and that's the language Crowley is calling out during all this. Allegedly. Predorabo called upon Iwas, and re-entered the abyss. Iwas, if you recall, is the entity that dictated the Book of the Law in uh, in Egypt to Crowley, and he at this point considered him his holy guardian angel. Edward Kelly, John D's partner in the Enochian work, said that mighty devil when referring to what awaited Crowley. The path he was headed was on a path with Kuranzan the entity that dominated the abyss itself, the guardian of the abyss. The abyss is not an actual physical place either, but like a space between spaces of higher spheres of consciousness, a place between dimensions. It's hard to explain, but uh, journeying through the abyss destroys the ego and grants enlightenment. One doesn't really lose the ego the way we think of it, but instead puts the ego as a construct into perspective, as a subsidiary aspect of one's interface. It would take a long time to try and explain it, and this episode isn't about the abyss, but I think that does it justice on a fundamental level. And depending on just what perspective you're coming from, Karan's can be seen differently. He can even have duality. So he's not entirely evil in the way we would think of it. The entity is more force of nature, primordial and without bias to human notions of morality, is how some have said it. The entity is said to even appear different based on culture. Karanzan is deemed to be held in check by the power of the goddess Babylon, so it's not entirely free to do whatever it wants. Karanzan is the personification of the abyss, all things and none, chaos, possibilities, insanity, illusion, obsession, dissolution, brilliance, dispersion, forms without end. This is Kuronzon. The being is more an embodiment of limitless possibilities and chaos than an egoic individual. So he's only really evil if you consider chaos to be evil. But chaos is the natural state of nature and the universe, so that would be very human very subjective way to view chaos. He's a tool of self-deceit that tests the ego. Kuranzan is metaphorically that demon on your left shoulder whispering to you opposite the angel on your right, at least to many esotericists. I did a decent amount of research on Kuranzan to give you a complete picture and from more than one perspective. In a way, the on is delusions one enacts on oneself. One thing that a lot of normies don't get from these traditions is that these entities are all within everyone. All the hells, all the heavens, all the demons, all the angels, all the gods. They are all within every human psyche. This can go along with the collective unconscious ideas and archetypes and whatnot. It's in line with the everything is connected and separation is an illusion paradigm. But I digress. That's a whole whopper of a topic in and of itself, and a deep rabbit hole, but it doesn't make anything less dangerous. However, I'm pretty sure the perspective of these old-timey occultists is that Kuranzan is a very real demon of the Abyss, and to summon it, Crowley and Victor Newberg created a magic circle doing all kinds of crazy occult stuff to protect themselves and prepared to summon Kuranzan AC performed banishing rituals and I'm not going to try and explain how this all went down like the ritual stuff but eventually Kuranzan entered the circle itself and it said
3: I am the master of form and for me all forms proceed I am I I have shut myself up from the spendthrifts, my gold is safe in my treasure chamber, and I have made every living thing my concubine, and none shall touch them, save only I. From me come leprosy and pox, and plague, and cancer and cholera, and the falling sickness. Ah, I will reach up to the knees of the Most High and tear his phallus with my teeth, and I will bray his testicles in a mortar and make poison thereof to slay the sons of men.
0: Newberg suffered a series of hallucinations, all of them in an attempt to lure him out of his protections or let up on his duties in keeping the ritual going. He knew they were all tricks, though, and after failing to mess with him, the entity laughed wildly. Karonzon continued to speak, saying,
3: They have called me the god of laughter, and I laugh when I slay, and they have thought that I could not smile, but I smile upon whom I would seduce, O inviable one, that canst not be tempted.
0: The entity continued to try and sway Nierberg with more rhetoric, including trying to use his pride against him, but nothing worked. Kronzon then shape-shifted a plethora of times and sent visions into the minds of the magicians, but nothing worked at all. It just got more and more infuriated. The world would shatter around them, and new narratives form around them, but nothing distracted the two. Finally, Kuranzan created a world where a beautiful seductress offered herself to Newberg and he just commanded the entity to continue the bidding of the ritual. Their will was so strong, they easily fought off the lure to fall into the dreamlike temptations and Kuranzan remained bound within the circle. And I gotta be honest here, I tried to get this account from many perspectives and I don't understand the lingo or a lot of the esoteric stuff in general going on but I am putting this together as best I can, or at least in a narrative I can present to you that makes sense to a degree. And we'll be right back after a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles.
3: Welcome to the Chamber of Mysteries. I am Anubis, the Egyptian god of death and guide through the underworld. Recently, the goddess Ma'at pointed out to me that the scales of justice have not been in balance. This is not good, and can bring chaos to the multiverse. But you, dear mortal, may help in averting this cosmic disaster by supporting cryptic chronicles. In doing so, you will gain ad-free episodes of the podcast, as well as bonus content only for patrons. In spreading free thinking and higher knowledge, the forces of darkness are kept at bay. Simply subscribe to The Chronicler's Vault at crypticchronicles.com and by pledging a single dollar a month, you can help keep Apophis in the void and Ra's Sky Chariot soaring proudly through the universe. Also, subscribe to the Cryptic Chronicles YouTube channel. Share. Talk.
0: Anubis, don't forget to tell them about iTunes and spreading the show.
3: Oh, right. Thank you, Ma'ad. Please, mortal. Help broaden the scope of listeners for the podcast by leaving a good review on iTunes and share every episode or any Cryptic Chronicles content as much as you can. In doing so, we can increase the audience and fans for the show, spreading it across all the consciousness of humanity. Help fight the darkness by supporting Cryptic Chronicles and assist the goddess of the scales and i anubis god of death and bringing balance to the planes of existence the astral currents must be calmed and the opposites must be reconciled as above so below farewell mortal
2: Light hath stars, more rare than ships in ocean, faint from pole to pole, so all the wonder of her lips hints her innavigable soul. Such light she gives as guide my bath, but I am swallowed in the swell of her heart's ocean, sagely dark, that holds my heaven and holds my hell. In her I live a my minute, dancing moment in the sun. In her I die a sterile shoot of nitrate in oblivion. In her myself self a grain of salt cast challenged in the sea. My passion purifies my pain to peace past personality. Love of my life, God grant the years confirm the chrism rose to rude, anointing love, a scourging tear in the sanctifying solitude.
1: Man is
2: so infinitely small in all these stars, determinate maker and the molder of them all. Man is so infinitely great.
0: We're back. Anyway, Cronzon then used Crowley's voice to ask for a drink of water from Newberg because he couldn't go on, but Newberg just cursed the entity with the names of the pentagram, which caused Cronzon to go back into his infernal form, and then it yelled,
3: I feed upon the names of the Most High. I turn them in my jaws, and I void them from my fundament. I fear not the power of the pentagram for I am the master of the triangle. Be vigilant, therefore, for I warn thee that I am about to deceive thee. I shall say words that you wilt take to be the cry of the aether, and thou wilt write them down, thinking them to be great secrets of magic power, but they will be only my jesting with thee.
0: What a cryptic thing to say. Karanzan then proceeded at great length to insult the two and basically all that they'd learned and thought that they knew, pretty much undermining their beliefs. Newberg tried to document all the things the entity was saying, but kind of was uh, overlooking Karanzan slowly but increasingly covering up the circle edge with sand, kicking it up. And once the spot was fully covered, Karanzan flew out of the circle in a rage at Newberg and threw him to the sand pretty roughly. The entity then took the form of an atavistic barbarian and tried to bite out his throat. Newberg had his occult dagger on him, though, and stabbed at the entity while calling upon the holy names of God, commanding it to get back in the circle. Kranzon complied, and the breach in the circle was fixed, and they uh, got back about their business. The entity continued its taunting and trickery, but offered Newberg a compliment saying he was a good warrior. The magicians had further back and forth argumentation before Kronzon gave them a prophecy. Anubis?
3: In this aether is neither beginning nor end, for it is all hodgepodge, because it is of the wicked earth and the damned in hell, and so long as it be hodgepodge, it mattereth little what may be written by the sea-green incorruptible scribe. The horror of it will be given in another place in time, and through another seer, and that seer shall be slain as a result of his revealing.
0: Thanks, Anubis.
3: Of course.
0: Now, I don't really know what any of that means, but after the prophecy, on vanished. Crowley removed his ring and relaxed from his channeling of energies utilized by them for the ritual, and wrote in the sand beside Newberg, Babylon. They then destroyed the ritual site and purified the area and over the following days continued the ninth aether they then walked further into the sahara and moved on to the eighth aether i'm not sure exactly what these aethers are or all the terminology concerning what they're doing so i'll spare you trying to make sense of it all in the end though crowley was successful in his ascent as a magister templi into the great white brotherhood And I think uh, the Great White Brotherhood to him was like becoming one of the secret chiefs, pretty much becoming one of the secret chiefs while living. And the white in the Great White Brotherhood, meaning light of ascendancy, not white as in race, FYI. The Great White Brotherhood is all about mastering ancient wisdom and teaching it to the masses through selected humans. It's basically what I've already gone over at the beginning of this episode concerning the secret chiefs, um, ascended masters and stuff like that which makes me kind of wonder if um, there was like a Great Dark Brotherhood. I mean, because the way that they look at things in in these esoteric communities, in these esoteric societies, they kind of follow self-evident philosophy, like the nature of un- the universe and, phlo- and like a, um, a philosophy of nature in a way, but not of nature. At the same time, it's very confusing. My point is just that what Crowley is doing... Many would consider, like, dark magic. I feel like many things are just a tool, and the what makes it light or dark is the intention behind the person wielding it. My point is just that Crowley, according to his point of view, his worldview, it's impossible to comprehend the light, other than in a superficial way, unless one knows the darkness. Many orthodox-type people would totally rage at that, but it's a crucial factor for considering... Crowley's worldview. So if there's a great white brotherhood, is there a great dark brotherhood? They have a night, day, cold, hot, polarity perspective of reality. So if one exists, that means that its other, its opposite exists as well, at least according to them. Unless if like one is talked about, that means the other is silent and people don't talk about According to their view of existence, if one is open and visible, that means that according to the laws of polarity, its opposite would be not talked about and invisible. But it would exist, right? At least according to their worldview. That would be cool to look for in research. (laughs) uh, A great dark brotherhood reminds me of the Elder Scrolls. I'm kind of digressing though. Alright, back on track. Here we go. The two continued their work on the Aethers and continued to experience visions during the process. Crowley kind of concluded that he was cursed to an extent, though not in the way we would think. More so, he understood sacrifices and how people would spin his words to deceive the masses and whatnot. I think he expected to lose his fortune too. There's nothing that would give me any reason to think that other than just intuition. But at this point, he basically fully accepted his place as a prophet. And uh, and if you look throughout history, there's like maybe like two prophets where they have a good ending. The rest of the time, it was actually kind of shitty to be a prophet because your life was always pretty pretty rough if you even managed not to have a horrible death. And though Thalema was going and he already had the AA and whatnot, I'm pretty sure that it was fully formed in his mind about now. AC also fully accepted and came to terms with his bisexual nature during this trip that he'd uh, repressed within him for a long time. Remember, it's highly likely that he was heavily molested during boarding school. But it was through this trip that he finally fully accepted himself and how he was not a sexual being like how society dictated he should be. And throughout this whole journey, you know that he was totally banging Newberg, I mean, Crowley writes a letter to somebody at some point and he's even joking about how Newberg is too busy with the to focus on the work and whatnot. So they're definitely having a good time. All in all, the whole thing was a success. Not only that, but he achieved a soul searching journey where he had more uh, like complete acceptance and personal growth and things of that nature. Also, a lot of people think that it was around this time that Crowley made contact with an entity known as LAM, which some in UFO research circles claim to be a gray alien or something. And yeah, it does look like an alien when you check out the picture. Crowley drew a picture of it. But from what I've researched, this isn't the case. However, it is stated that Kuranzan took the form of Lamb for a moment when it's a shape-shifting all over the place, trying to deceive them. I think that it was lamb spelt with uh, like a B at the end, as in the animal, a lamb, not L-A-M. I think people just get confused because it's pretty much confirmed that the lamb stuff comes later. I think like in 1919 or something, we'll get there. And uh, right now we're at the moment in 1910. So yeah. Just to clear that up real quick. People also say that this is where Alistair starts to go insane. But you got to also remember, um, I think it was the first episode when he does the Abramelum operation to try and contact his holy guardian angel. He cuts off the operation not even halfway through or something, which allegedly left him open to possession all the way back then. And to possession of like tons of demons, not just one. And even before that he was summoning goetia demons way too early uh when he was very new to the golden dawn so there's literally countless times that he could have already been compromised and possessed long before the quran's on summoning and like usual these opinions usually come from people trying to discredit or slander or demonize him or bring him down in some way in general so if crowley did happen to get possessed during the quran's on summoning then he's like super possessed if you believe that, but uh, Crowley and Newberg would continue to be humans (laughs) to other people for the rest of their lives and seemed mentally stable and in physical health. People like to say that AC became decrepit in his old age, thanks to heroin addiction and drug addiction and stuff like that, but there's actually a lot of writing about him in his later times where he's just as sharp as he ever was. So yeah, his body might've been giving out from a lifetime of debauchery, but his head, it's pretty clear that his head was uh, with him to the end. And all that's even if you believe demons are real in the first place, but anyway, the two occultists returned back to England and Crowley immediately began a project for the Equinox. The A.A. was the busiest it ever was. And Thelema was kicking strong. He also made poetry about Rose and seemed to be still pretty broken-hearted by the collapse of their relationship, but all in all, the Equinox was distributing tons of new content, and his mystery school was thriving. However, the last bit of Golden Dawn secrets that was printed and close to release became problematic when McGregor Mathers sued to stop its release. He was pissed crowley was publishing all the golden dawn secrets and this was the final straw as you can imagine the mundane normies that made up the court had quite a show in store for them it all seemed pretty alien to them this world none of them knew existed of occultists much less uh something that they could just take seriously right at face value laughter and giggling were common throughout the case And the judge and official people were quite perplexed by these esotericists and their weird shrouded ways that they went about talking about the case. When Justice Moulton asked to check out a copy of the Equinox and what they were all talking about, he smirked. And when he showed the judges, they did too. Interestingly enough, though, Crowley seemed to be enjoying the whole thing, but Mathers was often visibly disturbed. Mather's material and all the material that he and the other two founders of the Golden Dawn put together for the for the Order actually came from knowledge that already existed. They didn't invent or really write anything other than creating rituals and uh, deciphering stuff and translating things. McGregor was pretty much just a translator for it all. And this was kind of a hard case to sell when you're trying to say that somebody's copywriting... Your stuff selling your stuff that belongs to you you own it when you yourself didn't create it after all how could there be a legal infringement on something that already existed before the person or group claiming ownership was even around nothing from the golden dawn didn't exist before the golden dawn and all that going back thousands and thousands of years supposedly Mathers really pissed off a large part of the esoteric community worldwide from this case. And not because he lost the case or allowed secrets to get out or anything like that. What pissed them off was that during the case, Mathers claimed leadership of the Rosicrucian order. Something that was totally untrue and not even a thing. There were supreme grandmasters of Rosicrucianism all across Europe. So, it was basically supreme arrogance and against Rosicrucian tradition as a whole. The Rosicrucian orders across Europe all took note of this and they inducted Crowley into their orders, one of which was Theodore Russ, who headed the Ordo Templi Orientis, or just OTO, which, if you're familiar with Crowley stuff even a little, you know that this will come into play later in a big way. But I'm pretty sure that they all inducted Crowley into their orders just to troll Mathers. In any case, the whole thing made Crowley a celebrity among occult orders across the world at the same time. So many secret societies all wanted to get their hands on Crowley. Tons of them just gave him honorary membership and fancy titles. So many fancy titles that they filled up four pages, which probably greatly massaged AC's ego. The community of secret societies was more shaken and stirred at this point than ever in history, and the spotlight gave Crowley's AA a massive boost in all ways, Um, as well as far more subscribers to the Equinox. The AA got a bunch of new students, and to quote Crowley, For the first time, I found myself famous and my work in demand. Also, for just a short time, the press were not total dicks to Crowley, which wouldn't last long, but he was already being opposed for his dangerous ideas that threatened the establishment. The Star of the West was in danger of losing its distribution rights thanks to a Trinity College dean who didn't like what Crowley had to say and wanted him banned from talking at the college. Lacking the ability to censor him the way he wanted and also lacking the ability to rise up the students against him in any meaningful way, he just spread rumors that Crowley was a pedophile. In the end, though innocent, the whole thing did result in Crowley being banned from speaking at the college. Just too much slander went around, and all the stupid people believed it. Then again, this was just the start of uh, the organized turn on Crowley. Tons of misinformation would be printed about him over the years, including wholly fabricated pasts and complete fabricated actions, like he eats kids and puppies and you name it. Whatever the slander was of the day that would get the most rise out of the masses, they said in abundance at Crowley. But we are in a moment of temporary respite and calm in the storm for him. And during this time of success, Newberg and Crowley would summon Bart Zabal, the spirit of Mars. And they do this with other occultists present too, but I couldn't figure out who these people were. I looked in the couple books I had and online. I don't know who's with them here, but instead of it just being Newberg and Crowley, there's other occultists there too. So they performed the summoning, they did the circle, all the other stuff, you know, they got to do. Use your imagination. And the spirit of Mars showed up, then made a horrific prophecy That nation will rise up against nation and over the span of five years will destroy Turkey and Germany, which is pretty bizarre because I mean, this is like right before World War One and the Balkan War, both that led to the destruction of Turkey and Germany in a way, not outright, but their empires. And I can't wait to get to the World War One stuff because Crowley actually helped out during World War One. His workings in World War One has actually led to many conspiracy theories, even Crowley the Spy, but we'll get there soon enough. It is strange that this prophecy was so specific, though. Most prophecies are pretty vague and only really make sense with 2020 hindsight, but to say specific names and whatnot the way that the Spirit of Mars did, if this really happened, is extremely rare. For a little while, we got some gray area going on in Crowley's life with little letters and objective stuff to talk about. Pretty much he's just doing his school stuff, the AA, he's teaching new students, he's helping instructors on what they need to instruct, so he's kind of just like an administrator right now. In our timeline overview, the whole way that the Golden Dawn was ordered was completely just disregarded. AC was all about single one-on-one teaching or incredibly small groups, but mostly just one adept teaching a a student, like one per. Um, That's confusing. I mean, like there is a lot of students, but the student only interacted with one teacher and the students really wouldn't interact with each other very much. And all this was to avoid the ego wars that plagued the Golden Dawn and led to its destruction. Despite all of the successor chapters of it, Its original version was destroyed by people thinking that they knew everything and they were above other people. And a lot of times people who didn't even really do the work, they were just there for the fancy titles and all they wanted was the fancy titles. So you had these incredibly potent spiritual people who were like mid tier and all of these like horribly inadequate teachers, quote unquote, or adepts whatever at the top that were just there for the titles. And over the summer there were many new colorful characters that were attracted to the mystery school and he even performed public rituals that garnered a lot of attention from the press and the public of course many people just looked at it like a like a stage play or something but others considered it high art however many of the people who crowley attracted to his circle were also well known successful and high society type people there were those in his inner circle who told him to lighten up a bit concerning like public ritual plays for people to, for anyone to see who wanted to see it and pay a ticket or whatever. After all, a lot of these people wanted to keep their membership secret. But Crowley performed public stage type rituals, and nonetheless, it's not really clear what he was thinking doing this stuff. Um, But then again, we are talking about Aleister Crowley here, so he probably just wanted a lot of attention. But the old bard also loved upsetting the establishment goons. So he's probably trolling them as well.
1: (laughs)
4: Hey there thanks for listening to cryptic chronicles the show is sponsored by blueberry and if you're interested in starting your own podcast use our link we'll even give your podcast a shout out go to cryptic and click on the blueberry link on the homepage. by doing so you'll be helping the show blueberry is optimized for itunes as well as all podcast hubs you won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees in fact you won't have to leave your own website you'll have your own rss feed and no third-party sites Try it for a month free Try by going through Cryptic free. Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of Cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show, and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show, but most of all, thanks for listening.
5: Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual, or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO, or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale, and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time, and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you.
2: dedicated to Henry Farman. In the year of the primal course, in the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him in hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam. He harnessed the lightning for higher he drove the celestial team, and man is the lord of the fire. Deep mouth from their thrones, deep seated. The choirs of the eons declare the last of the demons defeated. For man is the lord of the air. Arise, O man, in thy strength. The kingdom is thine to inherit. Till the high gods witness at length that man is the lord of his spirit.
0: So there was some drama going down because a lot of people didn't really want to be in these plays. Well, it's not that they didn't want to be in the plays, it's that they didn't want to be in the plays and uh, let the public see them. They were called the Rites of Artemis. And it was a performance of magic and symbolism featuring the AA members who personified the various deities. Originally, it was at the AA headquarters, but eventually would actually go to real theaters. The people in attendance were given fruit punch spiked with peyote to enhance the experience uh, which sounds kind of awesome but hopefully they knew about what they were getting into because also various members of the press attended and all around it was looked at positively not everybody though west dewend fenton editor of the looking glass newspaper went after crowley in particular called him one of the most blasphemous and cold-blooded villains in modern times. There was way more slander too. And uh, it's interesting because AC kind of just played up all the sensationalist stereotypes around him. He would just like uh, play up being a Satanist and a supposed advocate of human sacrifice, despite being neither. And that's a common thing that people like to throw at Crowley. They try and call him like a Satanist, but Crowley didn't even believe in the Christian Satan. Like most people who are not Orthodox Christians don't, who are into this esoteric stuff, because that's largely a creation of like the dark ages and the powers that be who kind of took over the Roman empire. If you look in the Bible itself, there's actually little to no reference whatsoever. And also Satan's working alongside God and in heaven and stuff in the few chapters that he is there. But we have to remember too. At the same time, this is a society that is completely controlled by dogma of the time. The church basically was everything to the most most of the people. So it makes sense that they just point fingers at him and call him stuff like that. But instead of trying to, you know, denounce it or trying to fight against it, he just like embraced it all and went with it. And this is where you get a lot of the sensational stuff, even to this day, that people believe in like slander about him. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that there couldn't be some dark entity that's like king over evil. In fact, if you look at astral plane lore, if enough people believe in something, it actually takes on a life of its own there. So there could very well be a Satan in the astral plane. If if you believe that stuff, I'm not trying to rein in on anybody's parade or denounce their beliefs. I'm just trying to show that context is needed for what these people say about Crowley. I'm also very aware that Crowley would never win the good person award. But some of these slanders, especially about homosexual stuff, really pissed off the other members of the AA. Or actually his inner circle, I should say. See, back in these times, being a homosexual, being gay, was straight up illegal and Didn't matter if you didn't care what society thought and you were one of these esotericists, it would still ruin your life in the mundane, everyday world. So one of the other leading members of the AA, Jones, tried to sue. He failed and was disappointed that Crowley did not try to really do much to help him in the endeavor, which kind of ruined their friendship. In fact, a lot of the inner circle wanted to sue, but Crowley wouldn't do it. Well, he wouldn't like put his stamp and get the whole group to do it as a group. Probably because of his shrinking wallet. I don't really know why, but there are many reasons to choose from, including just the understanding that any press is good press. People who hate things are just as likely to interact and bring attention as those who love them. And if people are polarized and given to particular spins, they can't help but look into it. A lot of times, depending on how someone views another, they will instantly think the opposite of what they say is true, especially if they don't like or respect them or detest their ideals. It's just basic showbiz psychology. But it could also be that he thought a middle-class jury wouldn't really favor his side, or the places that the AA were going to sue didn't have much money themselves, so even if they won, they wouldn't get very much in return. There's many reasons why Crowley would not sue or pushed the group to sue as a whole. So choose your own pick. There's no conclusive evidence one way or another. And AC was content to leave the slander alone. In fact, he would add to it and embrace it, like I already said. But um, this was much to the annoyance of everybody else. In the end, though, it did lead to the end of Crowley's theater performances. This whole series of performances is considered a big deal to the theater world and wouldn't be replicated for decades. Symbolist theater was a thing and because of Crowley's work, it would become far bigger of a thing than it already was. It was mostly just for intellectuals, spiritual people, people interested in philosophy, psychologists, artists, but AC helped influence to make it big time. And there's even people doing good reviews on it and talking about it all throughout like the sixties and seventies, even till modern times. In particular, something that's praised is AC's ability to use the theater itself to influence the audience's senses, to hypnotize them significantly. It was all considered incredible progress in the theatrical arts. So yet again, we come across evidence of Crowley influencing the modern world's culture to a substantial degree. But ironically, the old bard himself thought very negative about the whole thing. I'm assuming it's because this... All caused him to lose a lot of his inner circle of the AA, including the original founding members, most of them. Many started distancing themselves from Crowley because a lot of them just didn't want their public careers or their lives ruined by their names surfacing in the gutter press hit pieces. So despite the reasonable success of the esoteric plays, in the end, it just wasn't worth the outcome to him. In late November, early December of that year, Crowley and Newberg would once again set off on a spirit quest, and once again to Algiers, but this time went far deeper into the desert than their last journey. Their objective was to complete the 18 Keys, which was another series of spiritual workings originating from John Dee. But it wasn't meant to be, because not long after the initial journey, Newberg got really, really sick. So right there off the bat, there wasn't too much that he could do. And Crowley being Crowley just kind of took off and ditched the man to get better on his own and returned to London. This wasn't really a cool thing to do and makes me think like there's more going on behind the scenes. But then again, he did ditch Rose and his baby in China. So who knows? Back in England, after a brief confrontation with how the Equinox and AA were being ran in his absence, which led to another member leaving the AA, Alistair once again found himself in court. George Cecil Jones, the one who was suing that I mentioned earlier, one of the co-founders of the AA, took some of the slanderers to the theater ritual stuff to court and as a surprise twist, McGregor Mathers popped up as a surprise witness and it was pretty obvious he was trying to get even. Once again, the lingo got pretty weird to the normies in the court and jury, with the justice even stating that the whole thing was seeming more and more like a case taking place in Wonderland. However, as I briefly stated, Jones, and thus AC, lost the case. Jones was then done with Crowley and cut off all ties. But this loss also attracted sharks that tasted blood and went out on the hunt for more slander against him. John Frederick Fuller, One of the other big head honchos of the AA, and close friend of Crowley, also cut off ties. And he was one of the main editors for the Equinox, so that was a pretty big deal to lose him. But on the other hand, the man did go on to have a legendary military career. He's even the one who actually invented the Blitzkrieg-type tactics that the English abandoned, but was embraced by the Germans. In fact, the Germans so liked Fuller's ideas on warfare, he was oddly the only Englishman invited to Hitler's birthday in 1939. He also never lost his esoteric side, which seemed to assist his military career, a highly successful military career. Fuller stood beside dictators, world leaders, occultists, and all layers of human beings in his life. He'd go on to write his own occult books and be considered kind of a big deal, but his relationship with Crowley was never reestablished. AC even kind of slandered Fuller to other AA members in a way, warning them not to take any magical training from him. Despite this though, later in life, when interviewed about Crowley, Fuller still had good things to say about him. He never really betrayed him, so to speak. In a letter to Edward Noel Fitzgerald, he said, Crowley was a genuine avatar, but I don't think he knew it, but I do think he sensed it in an emotional way. September seventeenth,
2: nineteen forty-nine your voices.
0: I hope you enjoyed the latest installment in our Aleister Crowley series. We still got a lot more to go over too, listener, because we're only getting to 1911. As per usual, take everything with a grain of salt. The content of episodes is not necessarily the beliefs or sponsored by Cryptic Chronicles, but no matter if one believes in Crowley's occult world or not, he was an incredibly fascinating man that was larger than life and actually left a huge imprint on the world. The paranormal aspects surrounding crowley are only starting to rev up cryptic chronicles is available on itunes podbean stitcher google podcasts spreaker and basically all podcast hubs if you look for us we should be there if you can make sure to like and comment or review wherever you hear this content If there's an ability to like it please headbutt your mouse to smash that like button elbow dropping it too is acceptable and let's look at a couple comments kenny schweikart on the episode 49 is reality real episode says there is nothing non-realistic about our planetary crisis there is nothing non-realistic about people that want to destroy the world based on mega-falsehoods. There is no illusion to that reality. Suggesting it isn't real is falling into the agenda of all that opposes reason and common sense. Whew! Kinda right over your head there, huh Kenny? Paul Miller on the Lost Regiment that vanished during World War I says... They vanished into an alternate universe. Thick fog banks can be one of the gates to a parallel universe. Yeah, that's a bunch of trippy stuff, man. That's just one out of a handful that I've read recently. Steve Jewell on the Napa Rebob's Folklore says, Partrick Cemetery is definitely a spooky place in about 30 minutes from me. As teenagers, we used to go there on Saturday nights looking for anything paranormal. If you really, really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that. You'll also get access to exclusive podcast episodes and, depending on the pledge, a bunch of other goodies and whatnot, as well as the Discord server. Just go to CrypticChronicles.com and at the top, click on the Chroniclers Vault. It's a link to Patreon, so you'll be good to go really means a lot to me and thank you. Speaking of awesome, I'd like to thank my current patrons MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, and our newest patron, Brad Herbert. Thanks Brad. Make sure you join the Discord server. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as an old bard once said, balance every thought with its opposition, because the marriage of them is the destruction of illusion.